Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. For more content, visit moralrevolution.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Hey, so thanks for joining us uh, on the Let's Talk About It More Revolution podcast. Uh, we're really excited today. We have a guest with us, um, Benji Nolo, who I'm just recently meeting and getting to know. Uh, a lot, you're friends with a lot of our friends, though. So, uh, Yeah, I, I've been tracking with you guys for a while, uh, and I love what's happening here at Bethel, and, and I love what's happening specifically related to moral revolution and just the conversation that's been undertaken about issues of sexuality and gender and things of that nature that that often get overlooked in faith circles or especially, um, in my experience, charismatic Christian circles in particular. <laughs> yeah. And so thank you. Thank you totally. for doing what you do and for having me. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's an honor. And it, it's always interesting to me because we've just been talking for like the last half hour. And now we like get into podcast mode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, just so much, I, I think, good conversations and um, love what you guys are doing. You know, I, my first reference with you obviously was liberated, as I mentioned to you. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that on this podcast, but... Um, I love, I mean, just what you guys do of helping people realize what they really don't want to see. Mm. Like, I feel like a lot of times, like you said, and I would say it probably not as graciously as you, so I need to learn from your, <laughs> your gracious approach. But I think Christians almost seem to want to be ignorant sometimes on stuff. And I, I love what you guys are doing because there's, to, from my view, it like I watched Liberated and felt so instantly drawn to it because I feel like I had been wanting to see this for so long Christians that are willing to allow some lines to be crossed to paint the whole picture of the truth. Totally. And I felt like that's what it did. It, it was a, to me, a beautiful picture of beautiful in the sense that it was a Christian willing to say, wait a sec, this isn't this is very damaging. This is very significant and we need to pay attention and not not make it seem like it's less than it really is. Like we've got to, we've got to get in this conversation and get in this game church. Cause we we're way behind. Totally. And totally. So that's what I love about what you guys do. But before we get into it too much, just tell everybody for anybody that doesn't know what Exodus cry is, yeah. what is that? What is Exodus cry? What you guys do kind of just for our listeners to get a little context for, your sure. guys, you know, sure, corporation. Yeah. So Exodus Cry is an organization that fights human trafficking. And we started in 2008. And uh, one of the early projects that we took on was uh, to make a documentary that would tell the story of global sex trafficking. So we actually had the honor of premiering that here in Reading in 2011. And, um, and it was really our journey of making that documentary that helped helped us understand and to see the various moving parts of why human trafficking exists in our world and what we can do to pull it up by the root, so to speak. Mm. And so um, so for our part at Exodus Cry, just to kind of get back to your question for a second here, we, um, we fight this in two different ways through our abolition work, our efforts to bring an end to human trafficking. And we do that through social and legal reform and, um, and heavily uh, focused on prayer as well as, you know, kind of the spiritual side of that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we do is our intervention work. And that is um, outreach to yeah. people who are trapped in situations of, of trafficking and, and commercial sexual exploitation. 
So functionally, that's what we do as an organization. Um, where a lot of people know us for the films that we've started to make oh. and other media projects, and um, and those are to help bring awareness, uh, but also to help shine a light in a way that you know we see ourselves kind of swimming upstream with these projects to yeah. kind of again, like I said, get get to the source, get to the root. How's what's happening? How is this? Why is this happening? <clears throat> but it was on our journey of of making nefarious and. And in the months ensuing the completion of that project that we were pondering, what kind of society is producing so many men yeah, willing to right. buy a woman or child for sex? Totally. And so... What a question to ask. Totally. I mean, when you see the these red light districts just filled with yeah. men, I mean, they're not... This, <laughs> the commercial sex industry is not struggling. It's a yeah, right. hundreds, billion, hundreds of billions of dollars per year industry. And so we started to see that, you know, our impression going in, which I think a lot of people have this impression, is that the Johns, the sex buyers, these guys are the, the shadowy figures in the dark part of the park late at night, you know, that if you were to take off their hood, we would see horns on their head. You know, it's like yeah, right. we don't we didn't <laughs> fully grasp who these men are. We know they're social derelicts out there somewhere. The reality is that that we discovered through the making of this film is that the Johns, the sex buyers, are your school teachers, doctors, lawyers. I mean, it's their your blue collar everyday guy. Yeah, a lot of them married, and and we found that the sex buying, the element of commercial sexual activity, was not just happening in places like Bangkok. That it was happening, you know, in places like Redding, California, right. and Kansas yeah. City, you know, where I've yeah. been living for the last 15 years. And um, and then we start to look at the numbers of men buying sex where studies had been done in Western civilized countries, like in Germany, for example, where 70% of the men there... Um, no, let me see, let me get the stat right. Okay, here the stat in Germany is... Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with uh, Brazil. Brazil, 70% of men purchase sex. Whoa. participate in buying women for sex 70 percent so it's like a cultural phenomenon in germany 1.5 million purchases of sex per day per day per day in in germany in in the wow. same in spain and so what we started to see is this isn't a few bad apples it's not a few social derelicts on the fringes of society yeah this is a cultural phenomenon mm -hmm. and and so hence the question what kind of society is producing so many men willing to buy a woman or child for sex. And back to your kind of original um, talking point, that's what led us on the journey of making the film you mentioned, Liberated, The New Sexual Revolution, which, parenthetical moment here, is available on Netflix for anybody that wants to see it. Strong disclaimer. <laughs> right. It is raw and intense. It is. Uh, but you can see it on Netflix. Um, but that's that, that question is what prompted us on the journey of making that film and getting deeper into the cultural aspects of what's happening related to the formation of our sexuality in this modern day society that we live in. Yeah. So, okay, let me, let me ask this question. So for those that haven't seen Liberated, um, I couldn't recommend it strong enough to you. Um, definitely some intense scenes, but, uh, I think we need to be aware of what's, what's happening. But in, in, in the Liberated, essentially you're hanging out at spring break. And you're you're tracking and watching. You're, there, there's one individual in particular that you're kind of. He's giving you the freedom to kind of record him and watch all these scenarios. And you really, it seems like you're trying to 
capture what goes on in that world, at what point, as you're asking that question of what type of in culture creates this, how did the idea for Liberated come out of that? Like, where did that come from in that process? Sure, yeah, that's a great question. So we initially set out to document the larger sexual landscape of America. And so so we interviewed people inside of the porn industry, other sexually oriented businesses. We talked with psychologists, sexologists, um, you name it, everything to do with the sexual landscape in the United States of America in you know, wow. modern times. So um, as a part of that, we thought, well, let's, let's go down to spring break. Um, you know, I had grown up watching MTV's spring break. Totally. And thought yeah. this would be an ideal environment to capture young adult attitudes about sex because probably a little bit more uninhibited in that environment. Uh-huh. So we went down and... And they're, they're just going to say whatever they actually think. <laughs> right, what, yeah, exactly. Totally. They're going to be a little more honest with you. <laughs> Whether they're intoxicated or just feeling yeah, free, either totally. way. <laughs> um, and so, so, yeah, so we did an initial trip down there for, I think it was like a three-week trip, maybe two and a half weeks, something like that. And we had a, a larger crew. And, and like you mentioned, our, our approach was to get access to really like, you know, the, the behind the scenes of what's going on at spring break. So we began to follow around different groups of people who allowed us to be kind of a part of their whole spring break journey. And, um, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, we had accomplished what we set out to do. On the last day that we were there, we ran into a situation that caught us off guard. And we went down to a, a, one of the larger parties that takes place on the beach. And we had not gone into that environment uh, throughout the course of our filming. While we were down there, a scenario unfolded where there were a number of girls being sexually violated all around Whoa. us. Um, and it was kind of like, the, the best way that I can describe it, I mean, in, you know, imagine there's 10,000 people on the beach, so it's not 100, you know. Yeah. It's, but it was like being in the midst of a mob that was ready to rape. And wow. is, is really the, the best way that I could describe it. And so we left there really disturbed about what we had just seen, but we were on our way out. And so we started to process what we had experienced and we wondered, we pondered this idea of like, is this part of the normal experience for girls that go down to spring break? Like mm. to, is, and, and so we felt strong enough about that point to go back down the next year. And what ended up happening is that we went down, we ended up going down, I think for like five years in a row. And it wasn't really until like five years into it that we decided to take it in that direction of mm. just like exploring the dynamics at spring break. But what we realized, what we found, what we discovered over the course of those five years of filming at spring break is that we had not, we did not meet a single girl who had not been sexually violated during her time at spring break. Um, and, Gosh. and so at that point we felt like we had a smoking gun on our hands. Um, on the last trip down, there was a girl who was gang raped on the beach um, in broad daylight with hundreds of people just standing that was around. That, there was like the news stories about that yeah. stuff in the movie, in the video, right? Yeah. yeah. And really to us, that was, you know, the final nail in the coffin that yeah. this is the story we need to tell because I feel like, you know, 
what, what the film does is it shows the confluence between hookup culture, pop culture, and rape culture. Mm-hmm. It shows And the, it's a thin line. It's, yeah. It, if there's, there's a line. They're, they're, they're all intersected. Mm-hmm. And I felt that what we tried to do with the film is to show the outcome of the socialization of boys and, and girls related to these issues and conceptions of masculinity, femininity, sexuality, and how all those things intersect. And so spring break is obviously an exaggerated kind of environment, but it was an ideal environment from the standpoint that it allowed us to then reflect back to the culture again. And, and mm-hmm. so part of what we do in the film is to highlight the stories and the messages in pop culture that are shaping our conceptions of gender and sexuality. Because the reality is, is you don't just, you know, I mean, these, these behaviors are, are learned. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, anyhow, I mean, there's probably more we can unpack here with all this, but, totally. but in a nutshell, that was... It, so one of the big scenes in the movie that really stuck out to me was the two girls... Um, they were, one of them was up on a stage and they were dancing or something for the applause of the crowd. And, mm-hmm. and basically the guy that was hosting it was trying to convince this girl to flash the crowd, yeah, yeah, pull up yeah. her shirt. And then yeah. one of the last scenes of the, of the film is in this hotel and she starts getting emotional thinking about her sister mm-hmm. having to go through that moment yeah. or go through the spring break. And, and that, that scene was really impactful for me because I feel like it was, it, it seems like you guys had this ability with the people in the movie, the film, to be willing to be really open with you, mm-hmm. even though there's cameras pointing at them. Yeah. Um, but then for her to, to come to that realization, like, this is what I've chosen, but man, I kind of hope my sister doesn't choose this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going back, and, and then even the weight of this guy up on the stage really, I mean, he was really pushing her towards this direction of flashing the crowd. And it, I guess all of that to say, and, and a, a, another question I guess to pose to you from that is, you're talking about the, this, there, there's this line or this place that it seems like men, and I'll say men in particular, come to this, this juncture where we're no longer just taking what we're offered, but we're taking what's not ours. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you guys are doing with human trafficking and then even talking about all of these women being sexually abused or sexually assaulted. I mean, as you guys are uncovering this, and maybe you don't, you guys haven't even figured out the answer to this yet, but what's that point where, the, where these men are coming to this place where now I'm, I'm going to aggressively take something that's not mine, which is, you know, removing the, even the Christian talk from the conversation a second for the person that, that doesn't have the values that we would have religiously, right. but chooses to say, I can have sex with whomever I choose, but I don't, should never have to have it with somebody I don't choose to have it with. Right. Where's that line? When, when, at what point in a, in a man's life is he getting to that point where he's willing to aggressively take this now? Because because if you're talking at spring break, <laughs> these aren't the guys that you are describing in the human trafficking. Our perspective of the, the horns and the shadow mm-hmm. and the hood. These are these are me and you mm-hmm. at 19 years old going down to have fun with their friends in college, high school students crossing pretty significant lines. Mm-hmm. Like what? From your opinion, what is it that gets somebody to that point? Like what? What does it take leading up for this young man that's twenty years old to be on a beach and to do something like that? Well, the horror of the scene that we 
um, found ourselves in being there was part of it was that the men who were participating in these activities, um, you know, specifically the activity of violating women sexually, either verbally or physically, um, had no idea that what they were doing is wrong. And okay, you're gonna have to explain that. What do you mean yeah. by had no idea? How do you not know that what you <laughs> right? I know that it's that's that's the crazy part of it. And what I would say about that, first of all, is that I think what we're talking about is is good men. Is that there's you know the majority of men out there I think are are good men and they they want to do good. If you were to have a conversation about them with them about their mom. You know, would tell you extol the beauties of womanhood and you know all these things. You yeah, know, and, right. and um, or if you were to sit down and have a beer with them, you'd find that you know they have a story and interests and passions and and generally speaking, probably pretty you know similar goals to yours and I's in terms of building a family and having a job and things like you know. For all intents and purposes, these are normal guys, and so the issue is that there we our boys today are socialized um, by very toxic stories in the pop culture about what it means to be a man mm. and I think that this process of socialization over time produces in them attitudes and mindsets and ultimately behaviors that don't actually line up with the good person that they imagine themselves to be or the good person that they um, uh, or the, the, with the good behaviors that they see their life um, trajectory going in. And, um, and so for us, it, we felt like it was really important to look at that. And when I talk about socialization, I'm talking about the process by which we internalize the stories that are told in culture and the development and the construction of our values, our identity, and our worldview. And so... Um, if, you know, you, if you think about, you know, go to the, go to, a, any elementary school and, or, or younger than a kindergarten and watch, watch the kids come out. You'll see five-year-olds, boys, girls holding hands, boys, boys holding hands. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. They're yep. friends. Yeah. And there's a sort of uninhibited childlikeness and innocence mm-hmm. at that age that soon will only last a certain amount of time before the stories that are told in our culture begin to affect their conceptions of gender and sexuality. And what ends up happening is that boys are socialized to disassociate themselves from the experiences of women. And so... um, That's a big statement. Yeah. Like, to me, that's that's huge because what you're saying essentially is, think of me have no consideration of what the, the, this, this activity might exactly. put that other person through. Exactly. It's, it starts very subtle, you know, and it's, you know, it's the whole, you know, we, this term gets thrown around and it's kind of become a bit cliche, but it's true. It's the idea of like, don't throw like a girl. It's, I mean, that to me is just, it's one of many, many examples of ways in which the boys are socialized to disassociate themselves from the experiences of women in order to be a man. And that's the key point. And so along with that comes vulnerability, comes the expression of emotions um, other than anger. So 
So when boys are, mm-hmm. are socialized to dissociate in that way from girls, they end up developing a very, um, it, it, I think it, limit, it limits and, and stunts the emotional maturity of, of boys and men growing up in our culture. And then when that interest in women comes back, it comes back in the form of objectification. And so you go from holding hands with girls in kindergarten because they're friends to now I don't want to associate at all yeah. with girls. And girls have cooties wow. and, you know, they run funny, they throw funny, you know. And so in order to be a real man, you have to distance yourself from them. And then when it comes back, then it comes back in the form of objectification and specifically sexual objectification. And so now to be a man, you what you have to do is you have to relate to girls in a way that is basically exploitative and um, and hard in a sense. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't talk about in high school, and I'm sure you know you can relate to this if you. I went to a public high school. Yeah, me too. Um, and uh, you don't talk about you know oh, I really like that that girl's personality. I'd like to get to know her a little bit. Right. You know, your friends would call you names yeah. I probably can't yeah. repeat on this podcast, but totally. um, yep. but you say things like you know I want to hit that. Mm-hmm. You know, check her out. Yeah. Um, she's got a nice whatever. And yeah. and so that's the way that you learn to talk about and relate to girls. And so ultimately, I know I'm having this is kind of a lengthy compl- uh, explanation. It's I wanna... so good. Don't you say everything you <laughs> feel right. like you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of I'll bring this home here. Um, ultimately, when, what ends up happening is I, I feel like that we develop over time because of the way that boys are socialized to achieve the sort of apogee of male existence, the way that women are presented as sexual objects in the culture in terms of the dominant image of women coming into the culture. Because of the, the, con- the confluence of these two things, I think what ends up happening is that men develop a sense of entitlement to women's bodies. Mm. And we found that that was really at the thread of what was happening with a lot of the hookup culture dynamics. And so a guy goes into an encounter and he's already thinking, you know, that how am I gonna get her from, you know, to first base, to second base, to home. And so, and the whole issue is, is that the male peer culture then polices and puts pressure around these dynamics that are taking place in, in a hookup culture environment. And so, um, so, so if I'm with a girl and, you know, we start making out or whatever, um, I know that if I go back and tell my bros, yeah, I met, you know, so-and-so, you saw me there, we made out, whatever, I might get, you know, I might get a high five, but the question is ultimately, what, how far did you get? Right. And so it is, the, and it's every conversation is built around that. Exactly, and so it's like so. So again, you're going to get more mm. masculine points among your male peers the further that you get. So the dynamic that ends up taking place, and now this is getting a little bit more into understanding the perspective of the female, is that he has to push past her no, and that is just built into the accepted framework of a sexual encounter that can take place. So he says, come on, let's make out. She says, no, no, no. He says, why not? Have another drink. Now she makes out with him. Uh Now let me try this. No, no, no. And so the whole thing is you push past the no, push past the no, push past the no 
until you get her to, you know, comply or consent, you know, quote unquote, consent to whatever the sexual encounter is. But for her, um, it's, it's a completely different experience. So if boys are socialized to take sex from women in this way, you know, to push past the mm-hmm. no, to get to achieve, then it's not a big leap for them to go from a non-consensual, to, to go from a quote-unquote consensual to a non-consensual sexual encounter. And so when you get into an environment like spring break, you got the crowd effect in place, you got the alcohol effect in place, you got the socialization effect in place. Now you just bypass a lot of those social barriers. Instead those steps of are gone even. Steps, yeah. yeah instead right. of going from the conversation to the kiss to the this to the this, it's just as soon as that girl winds up on somebody's shoulders, she's fair game in their minds. She must want it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's the story in porn, right, is that all girls want it. They never say no. And no matter how aggressive, you know, the man is, um, that's just going to turn her on even more, right? And so it's, it's the narrative like, anyway. That's, that's yeah. the narrative. Right. That's the narrative, the false narrative. And so these guys see a girl up on top of their shoulders. The, the chanting's going to start. The grabbing's going to start. And they feel completely justified at it. And then just getting back to the original point, this is why I say that a lot of these guys are good guys. Sure. And they don't understand the violation that they're participating in. Okay, so we're going to go over our normal time. We try to keep this under 30 minutes, but there's no way that's going to happen. I, I, two questions out of that. Number one, where is this going to lead us? Like this, this seems like a very dangerous road for us to go down. Um, obviously, I know that to be true, but for, for those listening, and then I think what does the response of the church need to be? You know, because if this is the, the, the path that we're on, you know, because you've seen, you, you've seen and experienced a lot of things most Christians have kept their eyes closed to. Really, I mean, you guys, you, you, your ministry and what you guys do has, I don't know if you call it a ministry, but your organization, you guys have stepped into realms that Christians really aren't willing to step into, I believe, for the, the need to give us a, a window into that. But where is this, where, where are we going? Like, where are we heading as a culture if these are the men that we're creating? And, you know, like two small questions, that one. And then the second one being, what do we do? As the church, what does our response have to be to address this? Mm. Yeah, great, great questions. Obviously, both of those are huge subject matters and, you know, probably won't be able to fully develop them in this podcast, but I think we can take a stab at it. Yeah. Um, you know, with regards to where the culture is heading, um, I, again, I think this is where a film like Liberated is helpful from the standpoint mm-hmm. of really capturing the moment that we're in and allowing you to kind of see the trajectory of where this goes, which in our film, it goes to the point of, you know, girls being sexually violated. And I think, so where does this go? It goes to, I mean, it's honestly, in some ways, it's hard to imagine where this goes from here. I mean, right now, currently, one in, one in four to one in five girls will be sexually violated during yeah. their time in college. Just during their time in college. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, um, and, you know, men's violence against women in the United States is the leading cause of injury to women in the United States. So it's, it's hard to imagine how much worse the scenario could get. We have a, another docu- coming out, documentary coming out on the porn industry that allows you to see this subject from a different angle, which is just the, the, the way that, that boys and men are being sexually informed through the stories and messages and pornography and how mm-hmm. disturbing and toxic those have become. 
And um, can you give the title to that yet, or is that yeah, top secret? Yeah, it's um, it's called Beyond Fantasy, and we're hoping for a release for that next year. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, I think you know where where does it go from here? I think that if we don't begin to change the story that we're telling about what it means to be a man in our culture. If we don't begin to curb that story and to tell a new story, I think that we're going to see just an acceleration of these dynamics. You know what? You know what? Right now, you might see common at spring break may become more common mm-hmm. um, in other environments in our culture. You know, yeah. and there are countries that are further downstream, so to speak, than us, and where you do see these dynamic at work it you know human relationships become extremely cannibalistic one of the points that is talked about in the film is how the the sociological outcome of these stories that we tell about what it means to be a man and a woman and a sexual being mm-hmm. is resulting in a culture without love yeah and so to me that is the most tragic thing is when we talked to scores and scores and scores of young adults and we asked them this question, what does love mean to you? We actually are expecting some type of an answer. And the most common answer that we got is that love doesn't exist. Oh yeah, I couldn't, I mean it was shocking watching some of the people, like their answers to that question in particular was like, I guess not terrifying, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Really? Yeah, that's definitely the right word for it. It's heartbreaking because you get to see through that their way of understanding the world, um, just how stripped of their humanity mm-hmm. um, they have been. Yeah. And the levels of disillusionment at such young ages. To have an 18-year-old girl tell you that she doesn't believe that love exists and is possible in this world is just it utterly is. heartbreaking. And so what ends up happening in, 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 with regards to human relationships is you begin to see the implosion of human relationships, and so hence the hookup culture. Right. So now people aren't relating to each other primarily um, at those younger ages with an idea for any kind of long-term relationship or where this might go, but pr- primarily um, through a mutual exchange of pleasure. But nobody's winning in this scenario, and that's the thing that I want to see. In this kind of hedonistic environment that we live in where love is stripped out of the equation, you know, yeah. where you just is, you know, a lot of really lonely, depressed, hurting people. Mm -hmm. And so to get to your second question, I think that's where the church can come in and has such a powerful message is, you know, um, that, that authentic love is real and is possible. And, um, and so I think the church has a huge role to play in everything that's going on in our society right now. I mean, I can't think of a time in my lifetime where the culture, the society, has been more open to hear and to listen. Totally. Because of what's going on with the Me Too movement, the Time's yeah. Up movement. It's like people are looking for answers. And so I think right now is an opportune moment for the yeah. church to step in and to bring some clarity into these issues. I agree. I, I felt very encouraged with where it seems like we're going on, on some levels. Because, you know, you look at... I can't remember a time, and maybe there's been other eras, but I mean, you know, me being 90s and, you know, 2000s really is, you know, what I'm aware of. You know, I was born in 84, but thinking, like, you think of all of the the people right now, Steph Curry, 
Katie, Justin Bieber that, that profess relationship with Jesus Christ, the influence, you know, even that Hillsong has had on a lot of people in these environments, it does feel like there's a much larger open door to conversations about God and Jesus and faith that I seem to, that, that I can even remember in my lifetime anyways, which is short, but still. So, I mean, I'm encouraged that you're, that that's your take, because I've thought the same thing from my view. Um, and I think that's kind of where, you know, what we hope is just to really engage, re-engage the church in this conversation, helping us realize, like, we've got to have these um, conversations with our kids. I mean, hearing the just your, that path you walked us through of helping understand how it gets from point A to point Z, and those steps is, is eye-opening for me as a, a father of three boys, mm-hmm. of being little statements that you don't realize are building a narrative are actually having a pretty significant impact on, you know, the, the body of work over a 10, 15 year period of their development. Mm-hmm. Pretty critical totally. that we pay attention to this, that, that as parents that we're away, well, oh, it, it, and it makes sense of why, you know, parents are always shocked at what their kids are doing. Well, it's because we weren't as aware as we probably should have been at the things we were sowing. Totally. At earlier ages. So, so true. And, and uh, to the point of the, where the church can come in on this, I think that the church holds two really powerful um, perspectives that the world needs. One is that sex has value. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's um, so big and important. And, you know, for you and I, we can sit across from each other and make comments like that, and it co- totally makes sense yeah. in our worldview. It totally fits and, our narrative of what we understand, yeah. And it makes sense to probably most of our listeners. Um, but you would be shocked, maybe you wouldn't be shocked, um, to know that this basic idea that sex has meaning, that sex has value, mm-hmm has been all but lost on college campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent the first half of this year going to college campuses throughout the United States and the UK to screen our, um, to screen liberated. And I was, you know, I didn't think anything else could shock me at this point, but I was shocked to see that even in the environment where like Berkeley, um, you know, um, Oxford, um, high, like highly respected academic institutions where the students attending these institutions would vehemently argue against the idea that sex has any real meaning or value and, um, and vehemently argue for the idea of meaningless casual hookup sex as being a perfectly acceptable um, way to express yourself sexually and one that should be celebrated and embraced. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why this message is so important is, you know, I mean, first of all, you just look out at everything that's happening in the culture right now. And I think it's obvious, but <laughs> aside from what is obvious to me and apparently not obvious to some <laughs> others, um, I, I think it's, it's this idea that if sex has meaning and sex has value, then you treat it with reverence. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think that there's a huge role for the church to play in having that conversation. And to me, that conversation wouldn't look like the way that we've had it in the past um, from the perspective of a very, like assuming the moral high ground, very shame-based, um, the do and don't aspect. You know, it's, 
we need to invite people who are hurting in our culture into understanding these issues in yeah. a way that doesn't shame them through the absolutely. process or condemn or alienate them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to me, that's one huge perspective that the church holds that the world needs in this moment. The other perspective I believe that we hold is just the idea of what it means to be human. And, you know, because just intrinsically, existentially, the issues of relationships and sex and all of this ties back to our humanity. And I think the reason why suicide rates are high, depression rates are high, PTSD, or, um, uh, anxiety, and, and all these things are, are so high right now is because people are expressing themselves in ways that are actually diminishing their humanity. Mm, and yeah. we hold a perspective huh. of what it means to be human. And there's obviously a huge conversation to be had around that about the specifics and the substance behind that. But just to say at the outset, it's kind of a menu item that those are two really important perspectives that the church holds. And so, again, getting back to you know the idea of moral revolution, part of what I love about what you guys are doing is inviting people into this space to wrestle with these issues in a non-shame-based way. Mm-hmm. And you know, my, I guess my question is, how do we get... How do we take this from the church where, you know, we know that it is so needed Mm -hmm. and how do we begin to build the bridge of this conversation into the secular culture? Yeah. And that was something that we attempted to do with Liberated. I don't know that we did it perfectly, but it's it's an attempt to move into that direction Mm -hmm. to be like, hey, I'm a man of faith. You're a person that doesn't have faith, but there's things that we should all care about. Absolutely. Like the sexual violation yep. of women, you know, it's like... Absolutely. And, um, and so how can we have a conversation? It's and, so good. But I think, I think you guys are really uniquely so positioned good. to have that conversation and invite people into that dialogue. And I'd be really interested and curious to see what that looks like. Yeah, I am too. And I think we're, you know, we're trying to navigate that. I know you guys are. I think as we're putting our heads together, which I think is a good thing, collaboration will... Yeah. We'll get there. We'll figure it out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks a ton for yeah. just the time. I know you guys are, um, you know, all over the place, but really, really value this. You are brilliant. I mean, just the, I feel like you just really unpack some pretty critical stuff. I think for, for our listeners, for our community, uh, something I hope, you know, Christians are, you know, opening up to and, and realizing, hey, we got to engage in this in the right way. So... Thank Love you. what you guys do. Anything else for? I mean, we, Exodus Cry. We've got this the new movie coming out, um, 2019. Is yeah. the goal? Yeah, keep an eye out uh, for Beyond Fantasy in 2019. It's going to provide a really uh, compelling look into the way that the porn industry is pushing the boundaries of legality to create provocative content and at what expense. Wow. And so it's all from going inside the industry, interviews with producers, performers, and all the key players. And I think it's going to be, I mean, really, it's the first film of its kind and and hopefully will open a lot of eyes. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that coming out next year. Awesome. Thanks. Love what you guys do. Thank Thank you you for for being the tip of the spear on a lot of this. Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. For more content, visit moralrevolution.com and follow us on social media, pursuing God's design for sexuality.